Section five of the Morals, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Morals, Volume two by Plutarch. Translated by several hands, corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. How a young man ought to hear poems, Part two. Five nor are we to omit in our reading those hints which from some other words or phrases bordering on those that offend us may help to rectify our apprehensions but as physicians use cantharides believing that though their bodies be deadly poison yet their feet and wings are medicinal and can even kill the poison of the flies themselves so must we deal with poems if any noun or verb near at hand may assist to the correction of any such saying and preserve us from putting a bad construction upon it we should take hold of it and employ it to assist a more favourable interpretation as some do in reference to those verses of homer sorrows and tears most commonly are seen to be the gods rewards to wretched men the gods who have no cause themselves to grieve for wretched men a web of sorrow weave for they say he says not of men simply or of all men that the gods weave for them the fatal web of a sorrowful life, but he affirms it only of foolish and imprudent men, whom, because their vices make them such, he therefore calls wretched and miserable. 6. Another way whereby those passages which are suspicious in poets may be transferred to a better sense may be taken from the common use of words, which a young man ought indeed to be more exercised in than in the use of strange and obscure terms. For it will be a point of philology, which it will not be unpleasant to him to understand, that when he meets with rigidani in a poet that word signifies an evil death for the macedonians use the word banos to signify death so the aeolians call victory gotten by patient endurance of hardships shomoni and the dryopians call demons popi but of all things it is most necessary and no less profitable if we design to receive profit and not hurt from the poets that we understand how they make use of the names of gods and also of the terms of evil and good what they mean by fortune and fate and whether these words be always taken by them in one and the same sense or rather in various senses as also many other words are for so the word ihos sometimes signifies a material house as into the high-roofed house and sometimes a state as my house is devoured so the word viotos sometimes signifies life and sometimes wealth and alin is sometimes taken for being uneasy and disquieted in mind as in os efeth id alu apiviciato terito de ainos and elsewhere for boasting and rejoicing as in Ialiis oti iron enkisas ton alitin. In like manner, Thoasin signifies either to move, as in Euripides when he saith, Kitos Thoasin ek et kan tikis alos. Or to sit, as in Sophocles when he writes thus, Tinas poth edras taste mosasete, Icteris cladonisin existenomi. It is elegant also when they adapt to the present matter, as grammarians teach, the use of words which are commonly of another signification. As here, neologinanin megalideanin fortia este. For here, anin signifies to praise, instead of apanin. And to praise is used for to refuse. 
so in conversation it is common with us to say shallos ehi it is well i e no i thank you and to bid anything farewell hyaisin by which forms of speech we refuse a thing which we do not want or receive it not but still with a civil compliment so also some say that proserpina is called a penny in the notion of posititi to be deprecated because death is by all men shunned and the like distinction of words we ought to observe also in things more weighty and serious to begin with the gods we should teach our youth that poets when they use the name of gods sometimes mean properly the divine beings so called but otherwhiles understand by those names certain powers of which the gods are the donors and authors they having first led us into the use of them by their own practice as when archilochus prays king vulcan hear thy suppliant and grant that which thou'rt wont to give and i to want it is plain that he means the god himself whom he invokes but when elsewhere he bewails the drowning of his sister's husband who had not obtained lawful burial and says had vulcan his fair limbs to ashes turned i for his loss had with less passion mourned he gives the name of vulcan to the fire and not to the deity and again euripides when he says no by great jove i swear enthroned on high and bloody mars means the gods themselves who bear those names but when sophocles saith blind mars doth mortal men's affairs confound as the swine's snout doth quite deface the ground we are called to understand the word mars to denote not the god so called but war and by the same word we are to understand also weapons made of hardened brass in those verses of homer these are the gallant men whose noble blood keen mars did shed with swift scamander's flood wherefore in conformity to the instances given we must conceive and bear in mind that by the names of jupiter also sometimes they mean the god himself sometimes fortune and oftentimes also fate for when they say great jupiter who from the lofty hill of ida governest all the world at will that wrath which hurled to pluto's gloomy realm the souls of mighty chiefs such was the sovereign doom and such the will of jove for who but who himself too fondly loves dares lay his wisdom in the scale with jove's they understand jupiter himself but when they ascribe the event of all things done to jupiter as the cause saying of him many brave souls to hell achilles sent and jove's design accomplished in the event they mean by jove no more but fate for the poet doth not conceive that god contrives mischief against mankind but he soundly declares the mere necessity of the things themselves to wit that prosperity and victory are destined by fate to cities and armies and commanders who govern themselves with sobriety but if they give way to passions and commit errors thereby dividing and crumbling themselves into factions as those of whom the poet speaks did they do unhandsome actions and thereby create great disturbances such as are attended with sad consequences for to all unadvised acts in fine the fates unhappy issues do assign but when hesiod brings in prometheus thus counselling his brother epimetheus brother if jove to thee a present make take heed that from his hands thou nothing take he useth the name of jove to express fortune for he calls the good things which come by her such as riches and marriages and empires and indeed all external things the enjoyment whereof is unprofitable to them who know not how to use them well the gifts of jove 
and therefore he adviseth epimetheus an ill man and a fool withal to stand in fear of and to guard himself from prosperity as that which would be hurtful and destructive to him again where he saith reproach thou not a man for being poor his poverty's god's gift as is thy store he calls that which befalls men by fortune god's gift and intimates that it is an unworthy thing to reproach any man for that poverty which he falls into by fortune whereas poverty is then only a matter of disgrace and reproach when it is attendant on sloth and idleness or wantonness and prodigality for before the name of fortune was used they knew there was a powerful cause which moved irregularly and unlimitedly and with such a force that no human reason could avoid it and this cause they called by the names of gods so we are wont to call diverse things and qualities and discourses and even men themselves divine and thus may we rectify many such sayings concerning jupiter as would otherwise seem very absurd as these for instance before jove's door two fatal hogsheads filled with human fortunes good and bad luck yield of violated oaths jove took no care but spitefully both parties crushed by war to greeks and trojans both this was the rise of mischief suitable to jove's device these passages we are to interpret as spoken concerning fortune or fate of the causality of both which no account can be given by us nor do their efforts fall under our power but where anything is said of jupiter that is suitable rational and probable there we are to conceive that the names of that god is used properly as in these instances through others ranks he conquering did range but shunned with ajax any blows to exchange but jove's displeasure on him he had brought had he with one so much his better fought for though great matters are jove's special care small things the inferior demons trusted are and other words there are which the poets remove and translate from their proper sense by accommodation to various things which deserve also our serious notice such a one for instance is azeti virtue for because virtue does not only render men prudent just and good both in their words and deeds but also oftentimes purchaseth to them honour and power therefore they call likewise these by that name so we are wont to call both the olive tree and the fruit elia and the oak tree and its acorn figos communicating the name of the one to the other therefore when our young man reads in the poet such passages as these this law the immortal gods to us have set that none arrive at virtue but by sweat the adverse troops then did the grecian stout by their mere virtue profligate and rout if now the fates determined have our death to virtue will consign our parting breath let him presently conceive that these things are spoken of that most excellent and divine habit in us which we understand to be no other than right reason or the highest attainment of the reasonable nature and most agreeable to the constitution thereof and again when he reads this of virtue jupiter to one gives more and lessens when he lifts another's store and this virtue and honor upon wealth attend let him not sit down in an astonishing admiration of rich men as if they were enabled by their wealth to purchase virtue nor let him imagine that it is in the power of fortune to increase or lessen his own wisdom but let him conceive that the poet by virtue meant either glory or power or prosperity or something of like import for poets use the same ambiguity also in the word shahotes evil which sometimes in them properly signifies a wicked and malicious disposition of mind as in that of hesiod evil is soon acquired for everywhere there's plenty aunt and tall men's dwellings near and sometimes some evil accident or misfortune as when homer says 
sore evils when they haunt us in our prime hasten old age on us before our time so also in the word evdemonia he would be sorely deceived who should imagine that wheresoever he meets with it in poets it means as it does in philosophy a perfect habitual enjoyment of all good things or the leading a life every way agreeable to nature and that they do not withal by the abuse of such words call rich men happy or blessed and power or glory felicity for though homer rightly useth terms of that nature in this passage though of such great estates i am possessed yet with true inward joy i am not blessed and menander in this so great's the state i am endowed with all all say i'm rich but none me happy call yet euripides discourseth more confusedly and perplexedly when he writes after this manner may i ne'er live that grievous blessed life but tell me man why valuest thou so high the unjust beatitude of tyranny except as i said we allow him the use of these words in a metaphorical and abusive sense but enough hath been spoken of these matters seven nevertheless this principle is not once only but often to be inculcated and pressed on young men that poetry when it undertakes a fictitious argument by way of imitation though it make use of such ornament and illustration as suit the actions and manners treated of yet disclaims not all likelihood of truth seeing the force of imitation in order to the persuading of men lies improbability wherefore such imitation as does not altogether shake hands with truth carries along with it certain signs of virtue and vice mixed together in the actions which it doth represent and of this nature is homer's poetry which totally bids adieu to stoicism the principles whereof will not admit any vice to come near where virtue is nor virtue to have anything to do where any vice lodgeth but affirms that he that is not a wise man can do nothing well and he that is so can do nothing amiss thus they determine in the schools but in human actions and the affairs of common life the judgment of euripides is verified that virtue and vice ne'er separately exist but in the same acts which each other twist next it is to be observed that poetry waiving the truth of things does most labor to beautify its fictions with variety and multiplicity of contrivance for variety bestows upon fable all that is pathetical unusual and surprising and thereby makes it more taking and graceful whereas what is void of variety is unsuitable to the nature of fable and so raiseth no passions at all upon which design of variety it is that the poets never represent the same persons always victorious or prosperous or acting with the same constant tenor of virtue yea even the gods themselves when they engage in human actions are not represented as free from passions and errors lest for the want of some difficulties and cross passages their poems should be destitute of that briskness which is requisite to move and astonish the minds of men eight these things therefore so standing we should when we enter a young man into the study of the poets endeavour to free his mind from that degree of esteem of the good and great personages in them described as may incline him to think them to be mirrors of wisdom and justice the chief of princes and the exemplary measures of all virtue and goodness for he will receive much prejudice if he shall approve and admire all that comes from such persons as great if he dislikes nothing in them himself nor will endure to hear others blame them though for such words and actions as the following passages import o oh, would to all the immortal powers above apollo pallas and almighty jove that not one trojan might be left alive and not a greek of all the races survive might only we the vast destruction shun and only we destroy the accursed town 
her breast all gore with lamentable cries the bleeding innocent cassandra dies murdered by clytemnestra's faithless hand lie with thy father's whore my mother said that she the old man may loathe and i obeyed of all the gods o father jove there's none thus given to mischief but thyself alone our young man is to be taught not to commend such things as these no nor to show the nimbleness of his wit or subtlety in maintaining an argument by finding out plausible colours and pretences to varnish over a bad matter but we should teach him rather to judge that poetry is an imitation of the manners and lives of such men as are not perfectly pure and unblameable but such as are tinctured with passions misled by false opinions and muffled with ignorance though oftentimes they may by the help of a good natural temper change them for better qualities for the young man's mind being thus prepared and disposed will receive no damage by such passages when he meets with them in poems but will on the one side be elevated with rapture at those things which are well said or done and on the other which will not entertain but dislike those which are of a contrary character but he that admires and is transported with everything as having his judgment enslaved by the esteem he hath for the names of heroes will be unawares wheedled into many evil things and be guilty of the same folly with those who imitate the crookedness of plato or the lisping of aristotle neither must he carry himself timorously herein nor like a superstitious person in a temple tremblingly adore all he meets with but use himself to such confidence as may enable him openly to pronounce this was ill or incongruously said and that was bravely and gallantly spoken for example achilles and homer being offended at the spinning out that wore by delays wherein he was desirous by feats of arms to purchase himself glory calls the soldiers together when there was an epidemical disease among them but having himself some smattering skill in physic and perceiving after the ninth day which useth to be decretory in such cases that the disease was no usual one nor proceeding from ordinary causes when he stands up to speak he waves applying himself to the soldiers and addresseth himself as a counsellor to the general thus why leave we not the fatal trojan shore and measure back the seas we crossed before and he spake well and with due moderation and decorum but when the soothsayer chalcus had told him that he feared the wrath of the most potent among the grecians after an oath that while he lived no man should lay violent hands on him he adds but not with like wisdom and moderation not e'en the chief by whom our hosts are led the king of kings shall touch that sacred head in which speech he declares his low opinion or rather his contempt of his chief commander and then being farther provoked he drew his weapon with a design to kill him which attempt was neither good nor expedient and therefore by and by he repented his rashness he said observant of the blue-eyed maid then in the sheath returned the shining blade wherein again he did rightly and worthily in that though he could not altogether quell his passion yet he restrained and reduced it under the command of reason before it break forth into such an irreparable act of mischief again even agamemnon himself talks in that assembly ridiculously but carries himself more gravely and more like a prince in a matter of chryseus for whereas achilles when his briseus was taken away from him in sullenness withdraws from all his friends and in his tent his time lamenting spends agamemnon himself hands into the ship delivers to her friends and so sends from him the woman concerning whom a little before he declared that he loved her better than his wife and in that action did nothing unbecoming or savouring of fond affection also phoenix when his father bitterly cursed him for having to do with one that was his own harlot says him in my rage i purposed to have killed but that my hand some god in kindness held and minded me that greeks would taunting say lo here's the man that did his father slay
it is true that aristarchus was afraid to permit these verses to stand in the poet and therefore censured them to be expunged but they were inserted by homer very aptly to the occasion of phoenix's instructing achilles what a pernicious thing anger is and what foul acts men do by its instigation while they are capable neither of making use of their own reason nor of hearing the counsel of others to which end he also introduced meleander at first highly offended with his citizens and afterwards pacified justly therein reprehending disordered passions and praising it as a good and profitable thing not to yield to them but to resist and overcome them and to repent when one hath been overcome by them now in these instances the difference is manifest but where like a clear judgment cannot be passed there we are to settle the young man's mind thus by way of distinction if nausicaa having cast her eyes upon ulysses a stranger and feeling the same passion for him as calypso had before did as one that was ripe for a husband out of wantonness talk with her maidens at this foolish rate o oh, heaven in my connubial hour decree this man my spouse or such a spouse as he she is blameworthy for her impudence and incontinence but if perceiving the man's breeding by his discourse and admiring the prudence of his addresses she rather wisheth to have such a one for a husband than a merchant or a dancing gallant of her fellow-citizens she is to be commended and when ulysses is represented as rejoicing at penelope's jocular conversation with her wooers and at their presenting her with rich garments and other ornaments because she cunningly the fools cajoled and bartered light words for their heavy gold if that joy were occasioned by greediness and covetousness he discovers himself to be a more sordid prostitutor of his own wife than poliager is wont to be represented on the stage to have been of whom it is said happy man he whose wife like capricorn stores him with riches from a golden horn but if through foresight he thought thereby to get them the more within his power as being lulled asleep in security for the future by the hopes she gave them at present this rejoicing joined with confidence in his wife was rational again when he is brought in numbering the goods which the phaeacians had set on shore together with himself and departed if indeed being himself left in such a solitude so ignorant where he was and having no security there for his own person he is yet solicitous for his goods lest the sly phaeacians when they stole to sea had stolen some part of what they brought away the covetousness of the man deserved in truth to be pitied or rather abhorred but if as some say in his defence being doubtful whether or no the place where he was landed were ithaca he made use of the just tale of his goods to infer thence the honesty of the phaeacians because it was not likely they would expose him in a strange place and leave him there with his goods by him untouched so as to get nothing by their dishonesty then he makes use of a very fit test for this purpose and deserves commendation for his wisdom in that action some also there are who find fault with that passage of the putting him on the shore when he was asleep if it really so happened and they tell us that the people of tuscany still have a traditional story among them concerning ulysses that he was naturally sleepy and therefore a man whom many men could not freely converse with but if his sleep was but feigned and he made use of this pretence only of a natural infirmity by counterfeiting a nap to hide the strait he was in at the time in his thoughts betwixt the shame of sending away the phaeacians without giving them a friendly collation and hospitable gifts and the fear he had of being discovered to his enemies by the treating such a company of men together then they approve it now by showing young men these things we shall preserve them from being carried away to any corruption in their manners and dispose them to the election and imitation of those that are good as being before instructed readily to disapprove those and commend these but this ought with the most care to be done in the reading of tragedies wherein probable and subtle speeches are made use of in the most foul and wicked actions 
for that is not always true which sophocles saith that from naughty acts good words can ne'er proceed for even he himself is wont to apply pleasant reasonings and plausible arguments to those manners and actions which are wicked or unbecoming and in another of his fellow tragedians we may see even phaedra herself represented as justifying her unlawful affection for hippolytus by accusing theseus of ill carriage toward her and in his troides he allows helen the same liberty of speech against hecuba whom she judgeth to be more worthy of punishment than herself for her adultery because she was the mother of paris that tempted her thereto a young man therefore must not be accustomed to think anything of that nature handsomely or wittily spoken nor to be pleased with such colourable inventions but rather more to abhor such words as tend to the defence of wanton acts than the very acts themselves End of section five.